Welcome to the Men Podcast. I love doing this thing. I can just sit here and drink coffee, and I can talk so much faster than I can type. And you guys can listen more efficiently than you can read. So loving the podcast thing. Make sure to tell your friends. Uh, and if they don't do the Podbean app or can't figure out how to listen to a podcast, teach them. There's so much to be learned. Okay, a couple of things. We are going to talk about a bunch of random stuff, tangles. And that's maybe going to be a new segment here where I just talk about all the crap that gets kind of intertwined with my podcast. Uh, so tangles, that's going to be one thing. We're going to talk about transitions in the fall, fly lines, especially as they apply to Trout's Bay, but some other stuff. Uh, and we'll just see kind of where it happens. Did a great couple of Euro-nymphing clinics this last week uh, as well. All right, so first thing, let's get you guys some deals. If you haven't used it yet, you get a coupon code, podcast. Enter it at checkout at redsflyfishing.com. That's the direct URL to our online store. Our outfitting site's redsflyshop.com. You can also go there and just click shop online. But redsflyfishing.com, enter promo code podcast at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your order. I don't even care if you buy something on sale. You can still get 10% off, but that's a one-time use deal. Thanks for listening. Hey, so uh, the other deal that we got going is I went absolutely nuts this last, uh, say, 10 days. I got my hands on some of the Scientific Anglers Amplitude series of fly lines, and I absolutely cannot believe how well my guest fished that line the first day I had it out. The first thing, we're light line nymphing, so New Zealand style indicator, delicate, small flies, 5X, 6X type stuff catching lots of fish, but they can be a little picky. And one of the hardest things for anglers to do is actually feed line delicately enough as that indicator goes downstream to keep that drift going without disrupting it. But that super slick coating, that STS coating on that amplitude, it was the amplitude smooth infinity specifically that we were fishing. And I was like, man, we're just flat catching more fish because we can feed line delicately. That line is super slick. Anyway, did a little research, tried out a few of their other lines. Fantastic lines. I personally prefer the Amplitude, which is a more textured coating on the head of the line. The Amplitude Smooth seems to be a little bit more popular, makes a little bit less noise. It's not like that old shark skin that's going to tear your fingers off if you have fish runs or you know, you have a mishap, uh, but it does have a little bit of texturing to just help with the slickness and the floatability and durability. So, anyway, here's where I'm going with this. If you buy a high-end rod, we want at Reds to help not only make best use of that investment, but we also have a little knowledge on matching lines to rods. So, purchase high-end rod. That could be a Winston, Loomis, Berkheimer, Hardy, some of the Douglas stuff. Any rod over 500 bucks, I think it is. And you enter the promo code SALINE. It stands for Scientific Anglers Line. Just SALINE is that coupon code. We'll throw in a free line up to $100 value with that rod. It excludes certain brands, uh, but any of those ones I named, go get your rod. Or your reel, I think. Actually, it will work for reels, too. You buy one of those expensive reels, buy a $500 reel, same thing will work. Put an SALINE. Put, a, put some specifics in the order comments. If there's some place you're going, something you're doing, 
any preferences, but we'll help choose the line that matches the rod. If you let us know what rod you have for your reel or your buying rod, we'll do it. You can even do that on the trout space stuff too, and we'll match it. Because we want your casting experience and your fishing experience to be productive and the best it can be. So with that being said, get your deals at Reds. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all that kind of stuff uh, so we can keep chatting at you. And uh, we do that because we sell some stuff working in this business. I don't have to go get another job in the winter anymore, which is awesome. Okay, so let's start with this. Um, by the time this comes out, it'll be uh, kind of water under the bridge, so to speak. But Thursday night, October 11th, I'm going to be in Seattle at the Filson flagship store doing some storytelling uh, with a bunch of other cool people. So if you listen to this today, which is Wednesday or Thursday, you live in the Seattle area, get down to Philston in the evening for their campfire stories. And don't just come to listen to me. I'm going to be talking about hunting, actually. If I'm telling a campfire story, it'll sometimes be about hunting. Big game hunting adventures. Uh, but there are going to be some speakers there that are absolutely fantastic. We're going to raise some money for backcountry hunters and anglers, which... They're fighting feverishly to protect our public lands and waterways. So, October 11th, Filson Flagship Store in Seattle. Come see us. Anyway, uh, let's start with my Euro-Nymphing clinics this last weekend, and I'll jump around a little bit and talk about kind of stuff I learned and as it relates to you guys, but there's going to be several topics. So I did the Euro-Nymphing clinic, and I did two of these on... I guess it was Sunday. Yeah, two of them on Sunday. And uh, the morning clinic had some great folks show up, uh, well outfitted. Uh, two of the, the guy and the gal had specific rods for Euro-nymphing, which makes such an enormous difference when you have a 10 to 10 and a half foot rod. I personally like a 10 because I might use it for some other stuff as well, but uh, really well outfitted, good students, uh, really just looking to enhance their ability on public water. And then another fella, um, he was just grinding through it with a nine foot five weight, which can work fine, uh, not quite as fishy. I really want to see people get the right gear because I think it's a worthy investment for that discipline. Uh, if you're just learning how to streamer fish or something like that, I wouldn't say you need to go out and buy a specific rod, but for the Euro game, if you're really want to unlock its true potential, getting the right tool for the job is is important. It'd be like playing golf and teeing off with a putter, you know, or vice versa, you know, trying to putt with a an iron or a driver. Uh, anyway, so they were geared up. We went out, hit the river, and uh, the morning fishing was just really slow. It was one of those days where even Euro-nymphing, you know, we were having trouble catching fish, and I fished some and managed to hook a handful of fish but the bites were just so subtle and so light, and those fish were <clears throat> pretty well lockjawed, lock so it was pretty tough to get that reinforcement of a lot of bites in the class, uh, which was the first class I haven't had a good bite on my Euro nymphing clinics, uh, which is probably good. A little suffering there in the beginning uh, makes the bite and the reward a little bit sweeter in the end. If you just show up and all of a sudden you're kicking butt, you know, uh, where do you go from there, I suppose? But the, the fishing was really so, but I will say I learned a couple of things just about how to teach that stuff better uh, as I'm only a, a couple of years into that. And one of the a couple of things that I 
I try to do in the class is one, you just got to get some reps in. You know, you have to just get, you know, sit there and stand in the same spot and practice the same drift over and over and over and over again until you feel like it's right. And, you know, and you get that positive vibe back from the drift. The other thing is try starting in really shallow riffles where you're constantly making positive contact with the bottom, but the river is still fast enough to push your flies along the bottom. And that'll teach you how to kind of pull or drag it downstream through the drift. Uh, so I just think if you focus on shallow riffles, anything from 12 to 18 inches deep or 6 to 18 inches deep, when you're first learning how to make that drift work, it, it makes learning how to fish the dips in the deeper spots a little bit, a little bit easier. Because the deeper the water gets, the more challenging that drift gets, in my opinion. So once I had one of the anglers really targeting that shallow water to practice his Euro drift, I could kind of see a light bulb go off in his head when he learned how to make contact with the bottom, but still kind of pull those flies and give those flies just enough positive tension to the, so where they don't hitch or stop because you want the flies moving continually through the drift. Can't be hanging up all the time, having a bunch of false hook sets. You're not going to catch much if you're always setting the hook on rocks. So that was probably the thing that I'd say if I had to summarize where I saw immediate growth was that. So morning clinic was kind of slow, but uh, folks ended up learning quite a bit. And I think, like I said, a little bit of challenge or suffering in the beginning uh, makes it that much better when you kind of pick it up. And I say suffering, I think two of the three students will actually landed trout in a, what's supposed to be a three-hour clinic. We ended up fishing for about two and a half pretty we ended up fishing for about two hours, you know, outside the instruction, but they, they ended up landing fish and, and the other one got plenty of bites. So <clears throat> it's just, uh, I've had such good success in that class. The bite has always seemed to be good and that's somewhat intentional. Try to plan those Euro clinics at times that I know are going to be productive. So did that whole thing. Uh, that was fun and uh, swapped out and grabbed three more anglers for the afternoon portion. The morning portion, we used the truck to access different parts of our home water, the Yakima, uh, which, you know, whether you're fishing here or fishing some other river I've never even heard of, learning to truck fish. And if you're going to be fishing that river again, really identifying places that you like that aren't super easy to get to, but you can get to them easily enough that you can park, hit it, get back to the rig, and then possibly use the rig to relocate to another kind of fishy spot. So I think if somebody's regularly fishing an area, having five or six of those spots is important. Even if you got to forego some fishing to just scout some days, or if it's bad fishing one day, just use it to identify part, you know, where you can park, hike down, hit it, get it, you know, get back and the vehicle move to the next spot and getting one of those rod racks if you don't have an suv or something where you can put the rods inside getting one of those rod racks that goes on your hood is a smart move hell use your coupon on that we sell a couple of those things at reds uh anyway the afternoon portion i grabbed those guys and we truck fished in the morning because those folks leaned towards wanting to use the highway to access different spots that they could go back to the afternoon guys were like hell let's use the boat and uh, kind of use it use it as a treat. If I book three people in the clinic, a lot of times, uh, whether I'm doing that class or one of the other guys, is we use the boat so that we can just access quickly access other parts of the river and, and be maybe pickier about uh, where we stop and do our teaching. 
So we row across the River Reds. These guys, they buy some gear, buy some leaders, buy some flies. It's um, <clears throat> The clinics aren't a complete, you know, complete uh, ask in the form of selling stuff, but we want you to be prepared with the right gear. So they bought their, their goodies, and uh, we jumped in the boat and uh, just rowed across to our home nymphing seam line straight across from the fly shop where we always we go over there and do a lot of videos and that kind of stuff. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. But anyway, we pull in there and I get I get rigged up and I'm like, man, I hope this fishing in the afternoon is good. Naturally, when you do a nymphing class, of course, the dry fly fishing is going to be good. And so the fish start rising on blue winged olives and uh, we're all rigged up with nymphs. And uh, every time you want to dry fly fish, the nymphing is usually productive. Uh, so in the, the opposite here, fish rising like crazy, but we're going to do the Euro nymph thing. That's what we came out to do. That's what these guys want to learn. So I step out and I'm thinking, man, I hope, you know, there, there are times when those fish are feeding on those betas or, or blue wings. And just to explain a betas is, uh, I, I don't know if it's the, you know, family order phylum or whatever, but it's a Latin categorization for a specific family of, I'll just use the term family. Somebody can correct my taxonomy in the order or in the uh, comments. Uh, but that's a specific family, and a blue winged olive happens to be a type of betis. So, as an angler talks, they will use those two terms typically interchangeably. So, blue winged olives are hatching. But they can be kind of tough, even on nymphs. Once they get on that rise and they're eating emergers, it can be, they can be tough to catch because those bugs are a number 18 on the large end, a number 22 on the small end. And so that's a pretty small fly. And man, when they start to rise on those things, even the nymphing can get really tough sometimes and the fish gets really spooky. So I was kind of nervous and I'm like, man, I don't want a repeat of this morning because nymphing over rising, you know, fish that are rising on two emergers can be, Kind of painful and frustrating at times. Makes you want to rip your hair out uh, when they're just sitting there boiling and boiling and boiling. And uh, they won't eat anything but the most perfectly and delicately presented emerger. So I step out and, I'm, and I've told the, the class, <clears throat> frankly, if you want to improve, and I get to fish enough, I'm not, you know, this isn't a self-serving, you know, move here. Uh, although sometimes I feel like it is, but I said, honestly, you got to watch me fish a little bit and just study what it actually looks like when a dude that's done it is doing some fishing. I mean, it would be like trying to learn how to ski and having never watched somebody ski before, you know, properly, or you've watched some crappy skiers and uh, you don't really know what to do or any other discipline for that matter. So anyway, I step out, and first five minutes, I told him, I said, just watch what happens. I'm going to go in real time. This is what it'll look like once you get in a group. And I get a fish on my third drift, you know, which is a presentation. So I was like, sweet. You know, that's a lot better this morning, man, because this morning was brutal. Uh, but it's also really distracting, too, because it makes it look like it's going to be easy. And so I tell the guys that. I'm like, hey, this, just so you know, this is not going to be easy. It, you know, it's not going to look like that when... When you guys get out in here and, and you're doing this, you know, so continue to pay attention. So I think I, I, I wanted to get a more drifts. So I stood in the same spot. And 
<clears throat> I think I got maybe one more fish and one more on or something like that. Anyway, uh, at that point, I'm like, okay, let's hurry up. Let's get these guys going. So I split the guys up. I Jason, Ron, and, and Ryan, and I split the guys up in different spots on the seam. And by the time I get the guys in, Ryan's, you know, he's already got a fish on. Literally his first cast with the Euro setup gets fish on. Uh, and not to say you wouldn't have got a fish on with an indicator, even a damn dry fly at that point, but it was pretty cool for him to get that immediate reinforcement and get to feel that take, you know, the, the energy of that fish directly connected to him through a tight line is pretty dang exciting and addictive. So, uh, we stepped out and the afternoon class was a hundred percent, you know, 180 degree turnaround from that morning class and that transition for those fish feeding on that particular hatch or that particular bite window when the water temperature warmed to a favorable degree was an enormous turn <clears throat> from the, the morning class. Whereas the morning class, we barely got fish. We fished hard. In this afternoon class, we just step in the river and <clears throat> first cast or two, we've got them on. So complete turnaround. Uh, I will say that you know, again, I, I'm going to sound like I'm beating the same old drum trying to sell you some stuff. But if it's something you're going to get into, get the right rod. I had one one angler with a 10-foot 5 weight, and uh, he, he simply did not have, you know, the success that the anglers uh, with the right rods did or softer rods. You know, the, the how you cast just a simple two-fly setup, you know, where you've got a couple of tungsten beads. There's not a lot of weight on there, and you've got essentially no fly line out the rod tip. Having a super soft tip on that rod just to make those casts, it's way more fun to pitch those little tiny flies uh, in just a mono leader uh, when you have like a 10-foot two-way, for instance. It's it's a very... It, it, it's... It, just the subtleties of how the slack hits, and it doesn't look like much, and, and you wouldn't perceive it as a big difference, but that light tip on a Euro-nymphing rod makes a big difference on just simply casting little flies at close range and then feeling the bottom, deciphering what is just simply you know a tap on a rock versus a fish picking it up and uh, setting the hook on you know a short, you know a very close-range fishing with small hooks and light line makes a big difference. So anyway, I'll shut up now about that and quit trying to sell you stuff. But I will say that that Echo Shadow 2 10 foot 2 weight, that's my rod, man. I mean, that thing for, in, in I, I, I have a Sage, I have some of the other ones. There's some high, higher end is always going to be better, but I really want to kind of vet that 10 foot 2 weight. And the more I fish it, the more I just recommend it. If you're kind of breaking into it and you're looking for something that's a great rod but semi-affordable that it's 250 bucks echo shadow to 10 foot two weight we sell them at res see absolutely fabulous choice of rod so there's some other ones we sell some more expensive stuff but i'm just going to leave it at that get that rod if you're kind of breaking into this thing uh and I've used it with a little New Zealand-style indicator, too. And, man, it feeds line immense. And indicator fishes with small flies like a champ. So you could, you could use it for multiple stuff, multiple things. I wouldn't want to throw big stonefly nymphs on it all day with a thingamabobber, I'll tell you that. But a little New Zealand and a couple small flies, uh, you know, when you need a feed line and fish some of those bigger seams, you're not isolated to just 
Euro fishing with that rod. So class went good. I'm going to try to uh, put up a couple of more Euro nymphing clinics uh, here in the next uh, 10 days to two weeks. I'll post them. I might run some of them into early November before it gets super cold. The fishing can get a little tougher then, but I'm going to do some of them midweek. My weekends are crazy busy with kids stuff. I'm trying to get uh, my kids out in the woods doing some deer hunting uh, in the next few weeks. So Saturdays and Sundays are pretty much on lock for family stuff, but um, I still want to do these classes. You know, I can guide midweek, but I do want to do some classes. So I might throw out a couple of testers and see if any of y'all can play hooky for a day if you want to go out and learn uh, some trout space stuff uh, or some Euronymphing stuff. I do want to teach that because I think uh, getting getting people dialed in on that gets people motivated about fishing when they can learn a new discipline that's effective on foot that you don't need a guide to do. Uh, so maybe the guide staff will hate me because that is my underlying motive. I want to get you into doing this stuff. So one, you, you have a great time fishing. Maybe we'll see you in the store at Reds, but I can also sell you some tackle as an ulterior motive too. So but you don't need a guide to do the trout spay thing or the Euro nymphing thing because you do it on foot, not out of a guide boat. <clears throat> so uh, that's kind of where we're at for the Euro nymphing thing. Look for more clinics coming up. Another thing I wanted to talk about today, I wrote a blog article uh, as well that's on our web, <clears throat> but I can't, I can't type as fast as I can explain stuff. So this podcast is going to be a little bit more uh, detailed, I would say. So, uh, we'll talk about transitions in the fall. And if you understand the transitions, the river and the trout go through, you'll, you'll be able to adjust your strategies a little bit more accordingly because these transitions are going to happen at different times on different rivers. And so it's not like it's real date specific and it might change from year to year. But if you understand these transitions, I think you can adjust your, your techniques or your strategies and your fly selections around these you know, different stages of the fall. So I'll take you through that. That'll be our kind of our lesson for the day, I suppose. Um, but most Western rivers go through the same pattern of transitions. So it really doesn't matter whether you live, you know, shoot anywhere in the country. I'm sure back east goes through the same stuff too. But uh, they all kind of go through the same transition. So what ends up happening in the northern hemisphere is we get all this, you know, the wintertime runs, you know, let's just say late November through February. In the spring, we're going to have these, you know, I'll just, I love the word tumultuous. feel like I'm, you know, somehow smart. Anyway, tumultuous. So we have these tumultuous river flows in the spring. Some days they go up a little bit with, you know, active snowmelt or spring rain over snow. A uh, little bit muddy, a little bit turbid. Flows go up and down and all around. So the spring can be a little bit unpredictable. And in the spring we have, uh, you know, sometimes the river will be too muddy to fish. Sometimes it'll be just a little bit off color, which can be very good fishing. But what it does is it makes uh, just there's a plethora of food available under the surface when we get those ups and downs. Uh, you know, we have an influx of worms 
from the riverbank. We also have various larvae, like cranefly larvae, and different grubs that come out of the sod or the soil along the river's edge in the spring. Uh, we also have just aquatic-based insects like various stonefly nymphs, mayfly nymphs, caddis larvae, uh, midge, of course. So we have all these different you know, food sources underwater in the spring that are getting bounced around by these ups and downs. And the ups and downs might be simply washing food in from the, from the shoreline. Uh, it might be uh, pulling nymphs off of rocks that were clinging to rocks, and all of a sudden they get washed down by an increase in flow. But the nymphs also have to move around to, to get themselves in the right water speed and depth. Uh, like anything else, they're somewhat grazers. Uh, you know, the river might be, you know, really swift uh, and cold, and all of a sudden it gets a little bit lower and a little bit warmer. Well, that nymph, in order to, to feed itself and be safe and move and get the right amount of sunlight and oxygen, it's going to need to move. So when those nymphs are moving about the river and you have those more dramatic rises and flows that are similar to spring, the nymphs are moving around a lot. So in the spring, our nymph fishing can be a little bit more aggressive, I would say. We can do a lot of general prospecting. We can use large stonefly nymphs. We can use San Juan worms and other general attractors because there's just a whole bunch of nymphs moving around the river trying to adjust to these tumultuous river flows. So that's kind of what spring looks like. But I want to talk about primarily fall and, and how it's different from that spring and that summer fishing. So we kind of go through these transitions in late summer, and that can be anywhere from, say, you know, mid-July. It might start in mid-July, what I call late summer, but it might start in August. But what's happened here is that the peak flow for the summer, peak flow on most rivers happens sometime, peak sustained flow. Let's just say peak flow that's good and fishable. It's going to happen sometime in June on most rivers. And it'll be kind of high and cool, but, but fishable. Uh, the kind where it's a nice hot sunny day, but you get in the water and it's shockingly cold. That's usually peak flow. And the snow melt begins to subside. The rivers get, get very, very clear, and they can start to get quite warm in the later summer. Most of the aquatic insects for the year have already hatched. So as that water temperature got warmer and warmer and warmer, it triggered a series of hatches. And when it gets over a certain point, it, begin, it stops triggering those hatches. The hatches are kind of done. On the Yakima, it happens sometime in early August where there's still some midge. There's still a few summer stoneflies. But for the most part, the caddis are kind of isolated to you know dusk. And there's just not any mayfly hatches to speak of. And that's really common. When the water gets really warm, hatches get very stagnant. There's a lull. The trout are going to forage during midday hours and they really start to look for hoppers, ants, and bees, and beetles, and other terrestrials like crickets and June bugs and that kind of stuff. And cicadas would be an example. Uh, they can be the best dry fly fishing of the year because terrestrial insects very active during the middle of the day. So right during the heat, that's when hoppers and bees and stuff like that, you know, think of butterflies or crickets, um, Stuff like that are very active during the day, and the trout respond to that by foraging usually kind of evenly throughout the day during that late summertime. Well, this transitions into early fall. Those bugs that I mentioned are going to be at their peak. Bees become a food source at that point. Um, there, there's lots of, you know, I would just say terrestrial insects available. Uh, the, nymphing, um, the nymphing action can be 
quite productive, but the water's really low and clear so that, you know, bang them up with big stonefly nymphs, you know, aggressive nymphing where you're, you know, using larger flies, double nymph rigs, and covering a lot of water. I'll say in, in less pressured rivers that can still be per- productive, but the river's going to be low, clear, and a bit spooky. And a lot of the fish are going to be laying in shallower water along the edges still at this time where they can be a little bit spooky. So what you want to look for here uh, is going to be generally in that early fall, you're going to be targeting faster water, uh, oxygenated water because the temperature is still warm and that faster water has a higher uh, density of dissolved oxygen. Uh, We want to look for hatches, uh, especially on the cloudy days. And if the fish aren't rising for those hatches, really pay attention to what's hatching and match your nymphs to those specific hatches. Uh, In these parts, we get uh, a a variety of small mayflies hatching in the early fall on the cloudy days, primarily blue-winged olives. In blue-winged olives, there's lots of different, you know, I would say sets of blue-winged olives. We're going to see some really little guys that are one group of insects, and then blue-winged olives could be a little bit bigger and they, they're all related, but they're, they're different subsets of, of a betis or a blue-winged olive. So we'll get some little number 18s and 20s. We'll get a few 16s that's a different kind of group of them. And we'll get some things called mahogany duns or light cahills. And uh, there's some ones called amelitis and, and other small mayflies. And, and that's not real important. But you should see the size and the specific color and really try to match your nymphs or your soft tackles specifically to those if you're going to be nymph fishing, if you're not able to find them on dry flies. Fishing one fly can be extremely effective in the early fall and fall uh, during those hatches. Uh, it's much a less confusing message to the trout. So an unweighted nymph uh, with a small piece of split shot in like a New Zealand style strike indicator can be very good. But in the early fall, Look for those hatches on the cloudy days. If they're not responding to the dry flies, match your nymph to that specific mayfly hatch. Don't just tie on a big flashy lightning bug or or stonefly nymph and hope for the best. Really begin to take an entomological approach to your fly selection. Uh, You're still going to see some terrestrials at that time. Uh, You know, for us, this early fall could last all the way to the end of September if we don't get any hard freezes. Fall is really going to start, you know, after the first couple of frosts. Uh, most of the, the flying bugs or the terrestrials are going to be frozen at that point. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to see any more hoppers. Uh, that's not going to be a significant food source. But more importantly, the, you know, true fall fishing, the fish have really begun to move away from the shorelines and the shallow slots along the edges into the deeper troughs. And they're beginning to become isolated and grouped up. Uh, the nighttime temperatures are going to be cooler. Uh, that's going to push the fish out of the shallow water. And you, we really want to begin to think about quiet nymphing, you know, really taking a, a somewhat more stealthy approach to our nymph fishing. This could be, uh, you know, transitioning to the use of yarn indicators, which when mended and moving around to the water are much quieter. I believe for wade fishermen, there's a huge advantage to the New Zealand style indicators. Uh, if you haven't investigated that, go to our web store and just search for New Zealand in the search bar and you'll see, you know, there's some wool that you could buy and build your own little indicators. Uh, the kit is a really great way to go. The guides that you'll see will often still use a bobber. Um, don't, don't model your own wade fishing after what the guides do. I've said this before, but 
the guides might float five to ten miles in a day. They can spook all the fish they want. Uh, but when you're standing in a spot, you'd kind of like to make, you know, most effective use of it. The New Zealand veal is just, it's going to detect strikes, you know, much lighter, softer strikes, more of them. It's not as noisy when casted, recasted, or mended. So, and that's what I guide with in the fall is, is exclusively uh, the New Zealand style system, either by tying in the wool with an overhand, you know, half hitch or building an actual adjustable indicator. So, uh, be thinking about quiet nymphing. Uh, lighter tippets, flies in that 14 to 20 range are going to be your primary, you know, tackle choice. Uh, again, one fly, if you know what fly they prefer they're biting, think about one fly. It's stealthier, it's, it's lighter, it's easier to cast, it snags less. Uh, you know, I won't push the Euro nymphing thing too hard. I, I think that's something you should consider, but you could catch lots or, or more fish on an indicator on bigger rivers uh, at times. Uh, I think Euro style nymph fishing is a discipline that you should definitely check out, but uh, don't feel like you got to do that. Uh, in a lot of the bigger pools in the fall, indicators are an advantage. So Euro fishing isn't always an advantage. Uh, consider the midge is one thing that I wrote in the blog article that kind of parallels this podcast, if you want to review. Uh, the midge is really critical. It's a very uh, important food source because the, when those fish pick out a certain midge that's, that's uh, abundant in, in the water column, they eat a lot of them. So if, if they or tend to find a, or they're eating a lot of the number 18 black zebra midge, man, and, and you fish that, those fish trust it, and they're eating them by the dozen. So that doesn't sound like a bad plan to me. Uh, but you're going to fish, focus a little bit more on pools and the heads of the pools in the, in the fall, you know, where that riffle or that color change is really dramatic into an obvious spot. Begin to target much more obvious water instead of just freely prospecting all sorts of different, uh, you know, areas within the river. Uh, what, what happens in the late fall, the late fall is going to be the fish are moving back into more of their, what are called their winter water, where they take that thermal refuge. They need that refuge for when we have dramatic cold snaps and they can get down deeper. There's a certain level in a river where they get springs and interflow coming out of the sides of the river. Um, there, there's lots of interflow and springs, and I'll just use this example. If you've ever been swimming in a river as a kid... Heck, even an adult, I still swim in rivers. It's damn fun. That uh, you've ever been swimming or wading in deeper areas of the river, and then all of a sudden you just feel a a patch of water that is much much colder than all of the surrounding water, and you can you you can tell when you're wet wading too. But you generally have to get in deeper. You got to be in deeper than just you know knee thigh or waist deep. You'll feel that dramatic cold, and it's not just the deep water, it's actual water coming through interflow through springs. And that's part of why flood, you know, just say floodplain preservation and uh, ecological preservation of our floodplains is really critical because when you feel that cold water, that's water that got into the ground when it was very cold during the snow melt or the spring. And how we kind of sustain uh, or manage that water on those open floodplains in the spring is really critical for the survival of trout. Because during the summer, that's the cold water. During the winter, 
That's the warm water. And that water is really critical to those fish having some year-round um, refuge for, you know, either a lack of oxygen or temperatures that are colder than what trout can reasonably sustain and still grow, more importantly. So they're going to they're gonna slink down into a little bit deeper water. They at least need access to that refuge so that if there's an overnight cold snap where it gets down to the single digits or teens, they can take cover uh, back in those deeper buckets and get in a comfortable spot down there. So fish begin to pot up in the fall. They're still going to be in the heads, creeping up into the riffles. They can still be in that shallow, fast water, but they're probably going to be immediately adjacent to deeper buckets. So look for deeper spots, places that they have refuge, and fish right on the heads and fringes of those spots in the later fall. What happens to... Pay attention to this. Uh, the hatches are really going to be isolated the afternoon. So you're going to prospect with nymphs. Uh, again, hatch-oriented nymphs, betas nymphs, small, very natural mayfly nymphs, probably less of the lightning bug, more of the betas nymphs, more of the zebra midge, more of a real naturally colored pheasant tail. Uh, we sell one at Red's called an Anato May, as an anatomically correct mayfly nymph. It's got a black bead. Super real looking. Very, very productive. So those types of patterns are going to be much more productive in the late fall when you're prospecting. Just think natural stuff because you're going to show the fly to the fish numerous times if you're wade fishing. And that's what this is about. I'm really trying to help you do it yourself first. If you're doing guide trips, the guide will take care of it. Don't worry about that. You can just shut this off and listen to Joe Rogan or something like that. But if you're, you're wanting to catch more fish on your own, uh, think about those very natural patterns. The other thing that's going to happen, you're going to love this one, is when these hatches begin to get short and isolated and, and really don't provide the significant food source that they did earlier in the fall, what will happen is these fish, their, their bodies are still craving growth and protein before winter sets in. So they have this metabolism they've got to feed. They're going to begin to chase bait fish very regularly and more consistently. So right now it's October 10th. The trout spay or small streamer fishing game is just not quite ready to kick off yet because our hatches are so good and those fish know they can just sit there and eat betas and midge and get fat. But in the next 10 days to two weeks, that food source dries up and they're going to transition into looking somewhere else and they're, they're going to begin to take advantage of these opportunistic happenings of a bait fish swimming right through their zone and they're just going to nab that thing so small streamers little guys in my opinion just would have had more success on uh and sink tips and i really much prefer to use this trout space strategy because it's super peaceful and i can catch a whole bunch of fish and it ain't about casting far that is a curse when you learn to cast to the other side of the river that is a damn curse so short cast you wouldn't just go take your single-handed fly rod and just start casting as freaking far as you possibly can across the river and hoping to catch a fish. No, that'd be ridiculous. So why do you do it with your two-handed rod? Well, I guess the answer is because you can and it's fun. But think about short casts. It's not about casting far. It's about efficiency and, and enjoying yourself and a lack of false casts. Bad stuff happens when you false cast too much. So think about the trout spay thing. Uh, 
and you're going to use sink, you're going to use sink tips in that kind of medium fast sinking range. You don't need to, you know, throw anything that 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 sinks at eight inches per second. You know, anything that sinks in that three or four inches per second is probably the most common sink rate that I utilize. And I use a lot of uh, Versa leaders as well. They're sinking poly leader. Uh, we sell ones made by Airflow called the poly leader. And if you just go for the fast sinking rather than the super fast or extra super fast, I love their uh, idiot proof naming uh, system. So go for the fast sinking uh, go for the fast sinking one. It's an airflow poly leader. Rio makes some too. Uh, they're a little bit more complicated. They they have spay versa leaders and verse leaders and stuff. But if you want the idiot proof one, just go search for uh, poly leader on our web store and get the airflow ones. They're tapered and they're they work great. So but fast sinking in the poly leader range, uh, there's a slight difference between true sink tips and poly leaders, but for any of that three or four weight spay work, that poly leader stuff works pretty good for smaller flies. I'll, I've done a bunch of podcasts and videos and stuff explaining this, but that poly leader is a little bit skinnier. It doesn't turn over big flies as good, but it slices through the water, is a little bit stealthier. So if you can use those for your small flies and they cast good, they're damn effective from a fishing standpoint. Uh, so you're going to transition to the trout spay thing. For us, it's going to be later October through Thanksgiving. And then we're a little bit touch and go with the weather uh, from Thanksgiving on. But that should pretty well outline you know, how you should look at your strategies. If you really go back and you can reference that blog article, it's not quite as detailed oriented, but just go to redsflyshop.com slash blog and you could see it there and reference that blog article just as far as a general layout. But I think that's critical that you have kind of an understanding of these transitions and what they do to your tackle uh, selection throughout this later half of the season and how the fish are also going to change where they hold uh, within the river. And uh, I think the clo- uh, you know, the closure that I'll, I'll kind of leave with is uh, if you're doing the trout spade thing, uh, get set up with the right rod. We have a bunch of them. We sell a ton of trout spay rods at Reds. Uh, in that high-end range, uh, you know, that, that IMX Pro short spay from Loomis is fantastic. Uh, I'd say it's not a cheap rod. You can go check it out for yourself. But that IMX Pro trout spay and the three-weight and then that Winston Boron three uh, micro spay is fantastic. And um, the other one, the Burkheimer 4114 is great too, but anything in that three or four weight range that you get. The reason I mentioned those higher end ones is if you do that same promo code I mentioned, SA line, will get you the line as a throw in that I am fishing on these rods, and that is the brand new Scientific Angler Spay Light Skagit Intermediate. I'm going to do a whole podcast on this damn line because I'm telling you it gets them. So if you listen to the end here, consider this your bonus. But uh, I'll throw that line in with that promo code SA line on any trout spay rod over 500 bucks, and uh, that line it's an inner it's a micro skagit head, so it's got a 14 foot head, real short, easy to cast, turns over flies. It's integrated, so you got no junctions, no mono, but it sinks intermediate rate and it slows that streamer swing down for trout in cold water at a small bug. And I'm telling you, that line is a get 'em thing. Uh, it hooks fish. 
It's not the only line you should ever own for Trout Spay. There's a lot of reasons to have some other lines, and I'm going to do another Trout Spay line buyer's guide. But if you're looking for this fall, this winter, to get into Trout Spay and have good success, get that line. Scientific Anglers Spay Light Integrated Skagit Intermediate. It's a long-ass name. Just go to our web store, redsflyfishing.com, type in Spay Light. It's S-P-E-Y. Light, L-I-T-E, and you'll see several options come up. But it is the integrated line, meaning it's one piece, sinks at intermediate rate, throw an airflow poly leader on the end of that thing, throw it on your three or four weight rod, and you are going to be rocking some fish. So anyway, that promo code is SA line. Buy any of those aforementioned rods or any, any rod over 500 bucks, excluding a couple of brands. Uh, we'll get it to you. Anyway, thanks a ton for listening. That's my conclusion for this podcast, and we will catch you on the flip side. Good luck out there. I will see you on the river.